Good evening, everybody. My name is Michael Miller, and it is so good to be here tonight, partially because I am enclosed by four windproof walls. We are broadcasting to you from an incredibly windy downtown Palmer, Alaska. Paul, how did you enjoy our bracing and invigorating walk to the studio five minutes ago? It was cold. Paul, Paul, you know, doesn't necessarily appreciate the nature of the weather that we're going through right now. It reminds us how lucky we are to be alive because we're only mere moments from death by wind, whether that's because you're blown away and you fall on the icy rocks below or just because you freeze to death. You know, I actually lost my car in the Walmart parking lot. A, in my defense, I was only there to pick up an emergency adapter for a cable, and B, well, I don't actually have a defense as to how I lost my car. I was convinced I had parked it on a part of the parking lot. I apparently had not. And I must have spent probably, in no exaggeration, about 10 minutes, which doesn't seem very long. You know, if you're... 10 minutes doesn't seem very long if you're watching a movie, but when you're running around outside without a hat and gloves and it's whistling 50-mile-an-hour bursts of wind and you're thinking maybe you will actually die of hypothermia curled up under some newspapers. The, the thought occurs to you. It, it does. It does. And I couldn't, fi- I couldn't find it. I, obviously, when I'm 80, I'm going to be in really deep trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's good to be here, and it's great to be having more conversations about all the things that we know you care about, such as your technology, your computers, your various iPhones and iPads, and how they have an effect on us, and how frightening that effect can be sometimes. Although, I have to say, Paul, you forgot your little soundboard, and I was yes. going to play a particular sound clip that we all know and love. Oh, and even worse, I, I have the soundboard, but don't have a power cord to go to it. Oh, yeah. Alex, I think my computer isn't playing sound the way that I would like. Hmm. Alex, our faithful soundboard. In the meantime, Paul, you, you're going to have to fill in. Paul, begin. Here we go. Oh, that's really good. Just in time. Wow, that's amazing. How do you do that? I'm going to be on Curry Fear and panic. You know, there are some weeks I feel slightly guilty because we actually have to try and produce something of the appropriate fearful and panicful nature. He almost got away with it, but I reminded him. It's true. We're we're not always in a state of fear. However, there are some things uh, that you should know about, and one of them is actually typically a Mac Trojan. Paul, what do you know about this Mac Trojan? Well, I know it's 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 housed or hosted on a site that's dedicated to the Dalai Lama. It's true. And uh, I guess it's an attempt to lure people that are interested in the um, the 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 Tibet movement against uh, well I, with China um, to do things on there and invert, inadvertently download malware. Yes, it runs a script a little piece of code in the browser and installs a Java applet, a little piece of a program that needs a Java environment on your computer and runs in the background and it tries to use your webcam to take photos of who you are and what you're doing. Curiously enough, we've actually reported on this one before. This particular variant has been around before, uh, has also been known to have targeted various users, uh, uh, actually specifically targeted the Dalai Lama in the past, mm-hmm. and that's how it's also been tied to... a the Dalai Lama and people who support him. But it's popped back up, and so it's making another go-around. And if you have a Mac and you happen to be a Buddhist or perhaps simply a supporter of the Dalai Lama, you do not have to be a Buddhist for that to be the case. He's a pretty cool dude, by all accounts. You want to make sure that your Java installation is up to date. And, in fact, that's really a good thing to make sure of whether or not you do have a Mac, whether it's Mac or PC, because if it's up-to-date, that hole is patched. You're not going to have your webcam snapping pictures of you. If it's not, it probably isn't happening, but it might be. You never know. You just never know. That is truly scary. Paul, your iPhone's taking pictures of you right now. I think it's off. Yeah, you think it's off. That's right. Well, yeah, I did tell you about how it's been strangely turning itself on. It's true. Maybe See, it's the I, Dalai I told Lama. you. <laughs> He's watching you through your phone. Maybe it actually isn't someone trying to discredit the Dalai Lama. That's it might right. actually be him yes. for reasons we don't yet understand. Wise and wonderful reasons. Not that we're in any way, you know. Uh, Suggesting that China might be involved. But, no. But if we were suggesting there are that. There fashions of appropriate behavior. Yes, they won't go there. <laughs> so, in, in, in semi fearful and panicful mode, 
we've reported before, and Paul, actually, I don't think you're around. For, were you around when we were talking about uh, the founder of McAfee Internet Security? No, I missed that. A very popular mm-hmm. piece of software. It's for been around for quite a long, a qu- long time. Quite a long time. Well, he is no longer, the founder is no longer part of the company, mm-hmm. to give a quick recap. He lost all of his money in the 2008 stock crash moved to Belize, and started trying to start other various startup companies that all subsequently failed for various reasons. And he'd been getting in trouble with the law there for having an argument with a neighbor over the neighbor's dogs. And according to witnesses, the last time they had had a conversation, he told the neighbor that if his dogs were found over on his property one more time, he would shoot him, the man who owned the dogs. A few days later, the man was found dead, and the founder of McAfee Antivirus was nowhere to be found. He's been on the lam ever since. Exactly. So, But recently there's been some news. He's popping back up on the headlines. Paul, what is that news? It is interesting that he's showing uh, the, the whereabouts have been kind of deduced through metadata uh, that's stored on his photos, or a photo that a journalist had taken, so that it actually revealed GPS coordinates. Oh, so the journalist was going to keep his location secret. Well, I don't know yep. quite how that worked, but that was he was traveling with uh, a journalist of some kind. Wow, that's very, very interesting. So he's not been apprehended by the law. And uh, in case people didn't know, by the way, your camera does record information of all kinds in the photos that it takes, which is mostly a really cool feature. By default, uh, most cameras, basically all digital cameras, store information like the shutter speed, the the exposure, the time of day, if the camera has a time set, all the information that can be recorded about the camera in order to either sort your photos when, on, when they're on the computer to identify photos of a certain type. I use it to try and figure out which settings worked for a certain photo when the photo looks good. But more modern cameras, such as your iPhone or various high-end cameras in general, and some cameras with a special adapter, actually use a built-in GPS to tag the photo, to make a note of the location where the photo was taken. And that's how, if you have an iPhone and you have iPhoto, it makes this really cool little map for you of, oh, all these photos were taken at this location on this map. Your past year, here were your travels. That is what happened here. This photo was taken, and people managed to deduce where it was taken and, um, you know, who the subject was. So you can't obviously look at the photo and get the data, but somewhere when that photo was posted, somebody who had uh, access to the electronic version could, could then read that information somehow. At any rate, he has, uh, he's excited. He, I'm not sorry. He's not excited. He has exited. He has escaped. Is what I was going well, to say. I bet he is very excited. And I, very well, yes, and way. I think that's why I use that word. So he apparently left Belize by land, according to him, because he's posting to the internet, and he's either in Mexico or Guatemala, and there he be. That's where we are for the moment. He's posted a manifesto online, and uh, it's been called very, very interesting. Uh, New York Times described it as Amnesty International meets Hugh Hefner as played by Jean Valjean, the unfairly hounded peasant of Les Miserables. So (laughs) I'm sure it is of interest for anyone who wants to check it out. I was thinking more Carmen Sandiego. Carmen Sandiego, yes, Where for those of us. Where the world is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does anyone still play Carmen Sandiego? Is that a game? I don't know if it exists. I don't know either. I do remember. More importantly, does the Oregon Trail still exist as a video game? That was oh, yeah. a really phenomenal. Oh, yeah. A great example, Paul, of how a video game can both be fun and educational sure. at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I, I played a lot of that. Moving on to other things. Uh, we have had some uh, news for you. And one bit of that news is Apple news, and that was going to be the fact that Apple released a rather large update for the software that everyone knows and loves, or everyone knows and hates, iTunes. iTunes 11 is out. It was iTunes 10 up until now. And it's a pretty major update in many ways. They've changed the look and feel and layout, and we bring it up because almost everyone uses iTunes. iTunes is kind of the Facebook of music. Love it or hate it, chances are you have to deal with it. So they've switched up the interface a bit. They've gone for much more of the full screen thing that they and many other people are now working towards. You can now download your music uh, on the fly from the cloud. If you've bought a song in one location, it can get listed in your library somewhere else, even if it hasn't been downloaded. And 
play it while it's streaming and downloading, which and is pretty it cool. It stores videos that you've purchased as well. It does, which is pretty nice because up until now, if you've bought, let's say, a Season of Lost or The Walking Dead, two very popular TV shows that some of us may enjoy, then you would have to store the entire thing on your computer, which is a lot. It, it takes a lot of space, a ton of space. And if you had bought more than one, say, all ten seasons of Friends, which also some of us may enjoy for perfectly legitimate reasons, then that takes up a really large amount of space. So now Apple gives you the option to store all of that online and stream it as you watch it, which is pretty cool. And I guess if you're looking at between devices, it even remembers where you were if you stopped in the middle of a, of a session. Right, which is completely awesome, really. I mean, if you're playing it on your Mac and then you go to your PC at work and you pull up iTunes, you can just keep watching the TV show and ignoring work like nothing ever happened. I guess that makes sense since you're, you're viewing it streamed from the cloud. Well, and also it's connected to the Internet all the time, so all, it doesn't take very much to keep tabs on your location and just make a note on the iCloud server. Mm-hmm that, oh, hey, here's where they were when they they stopped. I mean, they do a similar thing with your uh, tabs now. If you're using the Safari Internet browser, if you have iCloud, then all of the tabs open on your iPhone will translate to the same tabs open on your Mac. Now, in terms of the look, they've got a a segment of it that's viewable here. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of just having the music in a column on one side, I guess it stretches across and it also gives you a window of, of up next. Yeah, I have to say I'm actually a little dubious about how well that's going to work. That column on the side has become uh, interface standard across any number of applications and even operating systems since it was introduced because it's been very, very effective. To always have a reference on the left-hand side of where you are and the important things you can access. They, they did away with that. You now just have a full-screen view of your songs and of your music and you can, in the little bar along the top where the music plays or whatever is playing, you can click on that. And this is pretty nice. You can see what's coming up next. Although I have to say I don't really see how that's significantly different than having your playlist up and just seeing which song is playing and which is coming up next sure, then. Yeah. So it, it, it's curious. They definitely are obviously keen on improving it and overhauling it, but I have to wonder if this is really what they need to be working on, frankly, because... It, A much more important fact is that iTunes right now is also used to manage your iPhone and your iPad and your backups and your documents and all this stuff that have nothing to do with music and movies. And, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's become a gigantic program. It seemed like this would, be, would have been an appropriate time to, to leave the look of it alone and change the name of it. Yeah, or split it, you know, split it up into separate applications. I mean, I can actually I can see why Apple would not want to do that, but... They have some pretty smart people over there, some geniuses, if you will, and it seems like they would be it would be well worth their time to invest into rethinking how iTunes juggles all of these things. Although, saying that, I have to say, I think that their plan is just write it out until your various devices don't need iTunes to share files anymore. They're definitely probably thinking, hey, you're just going to iCloud it up all the time. Streaming music, you, you won't even need iTunes for that. So, speaking of streaming music, Pandora has been trying to get a bill through Congress to change how Internet radio works. Because they're saying that the way things stand right now with the rates that someone who pays on Internet radio is basically prohibitive for anyone new to get into the market and create any competition or even any new players in the field at all. Right now, Internet radio, they don't require that someone who's, well, I should say, they require that people who stream music online pay per song streamed, which is not a model that the radio industry uses. And so radio, it's much cheaper to stream things on the air than it is if you want to open an Internet radio station. At least that's been my understanding. I'm not an expert. I'm sure someone from Radio Free Palmer could clue us in on that. Hmm. And Pandora has been trying to argue that that's not fair and doesn't really make sense, particularly given the direction that technology is heading. And I have to say, in Pandora's credit, they've been fighting this fight for a long time. They've been at the forefront of trying to keep Internet radio alive and well, which might seem somewhat self-serving and, of course, obviously is in many ways, but there's also the fact that they are currently dominating that market. They're doing okay by themselves, and they probably will continue to do so. So to some degree, while they're probably looking to increase their bottom line, they're consciously trying to increase their competition as well. Well, it's an interesting case where you've got two different perspectives, which which both have credibility. I mean, Pandora's saying that 
they're paying half of their um, revenue mm-hmm. to royalties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the Recording Academy, uh, oh, and I just love this, represented by, by a man named no less than Jimmy Jam. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder how long the interview process even was. <laughs> they just looked down a list of people and said, oh, Jimmy Jam. Jimmy Jam. He's our representative. Yeah, yeah, I love it. But anyway, he makes the point that, you know, that they're not making enough. So, you know, well, I don't know how you they, but they, but that. they who? The record industry or the artists? The artists no. in particular. I find it really disingenuous personally when the record industry argues that the artist is not making enough. Right. Because it's not like they're opening up their deep pockets and helping the artist out anymore. I, this is a classic case to me of someone complaining that their industry isn't doing very well and don't you care about our poor workers when they're flying around in a jet with right. a golden bathtub. Right, right. They're saying that we cannot continue to perhaps to exist on our salaries the way that they are, and maybe if we have to cut something, we're just going to cut out the poor lowly schmucks at the bottom of the rung. Yeah. But that that doesn't ring as a really solid argument to me. It sounds similar to the publishing business, yeah. It does, and that's not to say that there's a... The flip side of that coin, and many artists have argued, actually, and they make a good point, that, well, the recording industry, nevertheless, is not all evil. They sink a ton of money into promoting their artists. And it's a fairly well-established fact that if you want to be incredibly successful and make the millions of dollars that many artists like to make, then you you need the muscle of the recording industry behind you. There are very few artists who have become major international hits without the muscle of the recording industry behind them. Yeah. And that's fair. I get that. But on the flip side, to argue that you have to put Internet radio out of business is somehow a legitimate business strategy in the interests of the artists, and that somehow the only thing you're worried about is the artist when you're paying them three cents a song, it seems like there's a disconnect there. There's, I'm not sure that they're giving us all the facts, in I other words. I predict that that's going to change. Just like in publishing, you've got more people that are doing independent publishing and online sales and that kind of thing. You've got a, a rise in that kind of uh, marketing plan in the music business as well. You know, And if, they, if Jimmy Jam is claiming <laughs> that you know, the, the artists are making... Uh, what did he say? 85% uh, uh, payments are smaller as by as much as 85%. Um, well, maybe that's because their cut is already so small. Is that I was about to go on a little rant about how it is fighting the rising tide of. They want to go and retroactively apply uh, higher rates to conventional radio as well. Mm hmm. So, and one of the things in an article I was reading today was that this bill that Pandora's trying to get through Congress actually got shot down because various congressmen and senators said, no, we're not going to address any bill about Internet rates that doesn't also address conventional radio rates and that how those need to go up, which also seems a little counterintuitive given that conventional radio is hardly triumphant or ascendant right now. Right. It's not a medium that is, is taking over the world by storm, so to speak. But they so do play zero in uh, royalties. That's true. So. Yeah. And uh, how has that been okay all these years, yeah, I, I guess? Know. I mean, apparently it has. It, that, that would certainly be a subject worthy of discussion with someone who really knew what they were talking yeah, about, as opposed to. to call in. I can talk about how I like to listen to it and how I like to stream it. I know what radio is. Exactly. I, oh, wait, I, we're on the radio. We're on 89.5 KVRF. By the way, KVRF is made possible by a lot of hourless, hourless hours of volunteer support. I've been meaning to mention this for a while. And this tireless volunteer support would not be possible without donations from the public. So if you like listening to us or if you only listen to us so you can be reminded about how exciting the rest of your day is and not sleep-inducing when you turn it, turn it on and listen to Paul and Michael or how exciting the rest of the life up on Radio Free Palmer is outside of Paul and Michael, or if you do love us, think about giving a donation to Radio Free Palmer. It takes very, very little to go a long way when it's held together by mostly hard work and determination by people who are giving of themselves to make sure a very cool community thing happens. So are you suggesting that after listening to our show that the rest of the programming sounds all the much better? Is that what you're saying? Well, I, I'm just saying it's a possible perspective for some. <laughs> We are like steam issues. Here? No, I just like to cover all the possible views. <laughs> I am a good journalist. 
Apple but, is best. But, but really, we would love to hear from anybody out there that has more knowledge uh, on certain aspects of the things that we report. And in fact, for that matter, we'd love to hear from anybody out there, period. You can send us a question at help at outofajam.net, or you can call us. And I was about to give the number, but uh, that's the catch. You have to first text us or send us a message on Facebook or send us an email so we can get your phone number and email. And you can text us at the following number, which we figured out a really great way to transmit the number. It's UG1 cent. That yes. makes sense, right? UG1 cent. That's UG1 cent is the phone number to send your text message to. It's really classy. Or if you can't do the awesome Ugwan scent that doesn't make sense to you, then it's 841-7368. Send us your name, your full name, and a phone number, and we will give you a phone number to call. You can also do that. Just send us your name, by again, by email, help at outofajam.net, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash outofajam. Speaking of Facebook... It's up to some really interesting things regarding your privacy. And we are going to both give you that information and tell you what you can do about it and the privacy of your photos as well. We'll be right back after the break. Community radio is what you make it. If you'd like to be involved with Radio Free Palmer 89.5, Big Cabbage Radio, find us on RadioFreePalmer.org. That's Radio Free Palmer, one word, dot org. Welcome to the new nation of Facebookistan. The great emperor, Mark Zuckerberg, has officially decided that your vote no longer matters. Not that it ever probably really did. And what's happening is Facebook, for a long time, has allowed users to vote on whether or not certain privacy changes would happen. Many people didn't even know this happened. Uh, most of us, in fact, I suspect. And the rule was is that 30% of Facebook users had to vote for their vote to matter. If they didn't vote, the vote was basically null and void, and Facebook got to do whatever it wanted to. So, of course, 30% of what, whatever billion people that use Facebook is a lot of people. A lot, a lot of people. And most people don't vote. In fact, I don't even know if, I mean, 30% of the nation doesn't vote, does it? Like, it's it's a, it's an, I shouldn't say ridiculous, it'd be great if people would know, but they don't. So, of course, the vote never mattered. So, Facebook has, now has their latest vote up. They have two, uh, two things up on the ballot. One is whether or not they can share information with their affiliates. And another one is whether or not they are going to do away with the vote altogether forever. Which, as many people have pointed out, can kind of make sense considering it's never actually mattered. But it sure would have been a lot nicer if they had actually voted in, or pe- given people the option to have a vote that matters in some way, any way at all. But I don't think that's going to happen. No. Then again, you could vote this time. Maybe if we all voted, this wouldn't happen. Wouldn't that be a shock to Facebook? So all you have to do is Google up Facebook vote, and you'll get to go there. That is is probably leading into our tip of the day, which is that for many of us, Facebook privacy is an issue, or we may not even know whether or not our posts are visible or available to the public. And there's actually really a, a cool... Oh, we have a phone oh. call. We've got a phone call coming we in, ladies and gentlemen. You're on the air. Who are you? This is Rob Vashlim and Rockin' Rob. All right. Doing, Rob, how are you, sir? I am doing great. Loving the show tonight. Thought, uh, with our similar interests on recording and everything, that your little conversation about artists with recording royalties and everything was pretty prevalent. So, so what's your input on that? Well, I come from both sides on this one. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, a bunch of friends who are professional musicians and mm-hmm. how they make their living. You know, we both, we all have our own professions where we d- depend on income 
to survive. And then at the same time, music is one of those energies that everyone feels like is free and should be able to just enjoy as is. Sure, or come from a creative place and et cetera, et cetera, yeah. And, you know, one of the most influential bands, at least I feel like on one side of the spectrum on music, was the Grateful Dead. And they were always about letting their music be out there for free. They downloaded all 3,000 of their shows. And oh, then well, one, I actually didn't know that. Internet, you know, and then all of a sudden, Bobby and all of the other people involved with Grateful Dead management were like, hey, the Internet's the new thing that when we had that philosophy, it didn't, <laughs> that wasn't happening. And then, so they switched their mentality, too. And that sort of caused some, obviously, band drama. <laughs> <laughs> That's so. pretty fantastic. So what's your perspective on radio royalties, or is there an artist's perspective on radio royalties? As in the radio station making royalties off of the songs themselves, too? Or as in the fact that right now a radio station doesn't have to pay royalties to play a song, is that correct? Yes, to my knowledge that is right. correct. And so would you say most artists, I mean, is, is there a consensus that that is unfair or fair or in their favor? Because there's this whole conversation of should radio be forced to pay royalties like Internet radio does, or should Internet radio get the royalties that it pays right now and get scaled back? Yeah, what if the whole thing was was spread a little bit more evenly? I think, on just on my side, I'm speaking for friends on this one, but oh no, you are. Oh no, this is it. You're, this is official statement for all of your friends, and they know where official you're for all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to say, I mean, internet just like radio as of right now is a free service, so mm-hmm. yeah, if we're if we're charging for, you know, we have our ads that we have to deal with on public radio, unless you donate to Big Cabbage Radio, you know, we, we don't have our ads. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have that stuff that basically pays for the CDs to come, I would have to say, um, you know, for us to have the privilege to play the music, too. So... I think that it should be spread out a little bit. I don't really feel like the difference between live radio and internet is that you're also dealing with a actual CD that people are maybe being able to pirate. Oh, that's and, true. Potentially you know, copy the stream or record the stream. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. I think like people out there have technicians have the savvy now to prevent oh, sure. that. But although there's since I was there, we don't care. So. <laughs> It's interesting, of course, and I'd be interested to find out what the difference is between a full-on Internet radio station like Pandora and an Internet station, or even like, say, KVRF in this case, which is a regular radio station, but also streams on the Internet. Um, And I have no idea, actually. Maybe it has something to do with whether it's ad-supported or not, but I don't know. Is it it a commercial or a, a non-profit kind of venture? Yep, and I think with our radio station, we have a little bit going for us that way, but like a, a mainstream, clear-channel radio that owns 500 stations across the country, maybe they should be paying, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, the more we talk about it, um, the the content of what's being broadcast is part of how they sell advertisements. That's what generates the listenership which becomes a statistical number that right. they can use when they're selling advertising minutes. Yep, definitely. Although I think hasn't historically the argument been that by providing a venue for artists to become known, the radio services both provide them a service, and then that's how it helps. So, you know, they basically that it's a two-way street. They get to play the songs, they can afford to play the songs, and therefore the artists become known. I would definitely have to agree with that. So many artists just hand CDs out because they're like, hey, we're going to be on air. Right. If if this guy plays, you know, their their music for them. Right. So, awesome. Well, this one is throwing some tidbits there, guys. So, that's the show. You have a good evening. All righty. Take care. Thanks for calling. Fantastic. Great. A rabbit hole of a topic. Much like your Facebook privacy settings. Wow, we have another phone call coming another in call. on the air. Hello, this is Lee, and I might put Mike on the line. Yes, Lee and Mike, how are you guys? We're doing great. And let me tell you... That's because you're in Hawaii, right? 
No, we're home. Oh, okay, we, we, okay. Yeah. No hatred but, um, for you then. Yeah, no, we get we you know all the warmth has been sucked out of me by the wind. <laughs> um, um, one of the biggest hassles of being the radio station mm-hmm. is actually paying copyright fees for all the music we play. So uh-huh. you guys are paying copyright fees. Oh yeah, it's a hassle. It is. It is the biggest. Mike gave me a number. I think three to three different entities. Huh. It's it's complex. We pay copyright fees for the music we play. We pay copyright streams for the music we stream. And if we were do- allowing podcast downloads of music, we would be paying even more money. So, um, and we have to report. Um, every quarter, we have to we have to send two weeks worth of logs of all the music we play. Um, to, so um, you're paying oh. different rates whether you're st- if for streaming it versus playing it on the air. Right. Yeah. Oh, so that's okay. That's very interesting. Yeah, and we have to bring Here's Mike. He can tell you more. Gentlemen, hey Mr. Mike. there, Mike. How you doing? Okay. Quickly, there are. Uh, it breaks out into two parts. One, streaming over the Internet uh, requires a, a different form of payment. And there's an organization called Sound Exchange that was set up specifically to allow for the payment uh, to the originator of music. Uh, and that, that has a, a separate fee. And then the music world is broken out into islands. Uh, the two best known are uh, B, uh, BMI and ASCAP. And what what they do is they have a stable of music providers, uh, two different stables. And depending upon whether you have an ASCAP uh, piece of music or a BMI piece of music that you're playing over your FM, you will pay a fee. And as Lee pointed out, what happens is that you have to log what you're doing, and they do a complicated uh, algorithm uh, so that, uh, that you're not sending every song that you you play, but they're really taking kind of a sample, and then they're distributing funds uh, in small amounts to all of those uh, people that uh, have had their music played. So what it ends up for a radio station uh, is it's a function of how many how many listeners you have. So you estimate the number of listeners, and then how can uh, you possibly do that? Well, um, for a small station, uh, you, you do a guess. For a larger station, you do more than that. So, so that would mean that's not really true. What we've been saying that if you're a radio station, you're not paying royalties for the music that you play. Uh, that's. That's true. It's not true. <laughs> we did. Yeah, yeah. The, I think and in it, one of the articles that we were, came to was misreporting them. Yeah, and, and for example, if you go to your local coffee uh, house and they're playing music, mm-hmm. um, they're paying as well to the same entities that uh, the radio station is if they're playing music uh, using their favorite device. Uh, and it could be uh, it could be as simple as playing the, the CDs or using an iPod and, or some similar MP3 player. When they play that music, they have to t- make a payment uh, because they're playing it to an audience. That makes sense, and that's why some cafes actually don't allow their employees to play I- their iPod over the speaker system. Exactly, because that would be a form of avoiding payment, but. That's one of the more, and, and I just leave you with this, um, is because of the rapidly changing distribution of music, uh, in particular with all the Internet-based, uh, iTunes-based downloading kind of things, there's been an ongoing discussion about how to, how to uh, properly uh, compensate those people who are musicians that Rob were talking about earlier. They're either music... Uh, uh, musicians playing, uh, or they are composers who are writing songs, and uh, it's an, an ever-changing business. But right now, if you're a radio station, uh, you pay, and you pay a minimal fee if you're guessing that your your audience is small, and then you use other means, arbitron ratings, other kinds of things to determine the the larger 
audiences that uh, would increase the fee that you pay. Well, we know our audience is growing. Uh, yes, but but it, it it'll still uh, not be in in that uh, ten fifty thousand uh, range. What what we can do, and interestingly enough, as you know, because uh, the internet uh, allows us to uh, determine how many people are are actually listening uh, into us one way or the other. We have better statistics than we do throwing out F, FM that yeah. has to be pulled separately. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that is very interesting. Thanks, Mike, for the information, and I think this warrants even uh, probably looking into it even deeper for Paul and I and seeing if yeah. we can get another guest on the air. Thank you so much, Mike, and thank yeah, you, Lee. Okay. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Well, we're just getting educated tonight. No kidding. That's the great thing about having people call in is that, that they can educate us instead of us trying to do it the other way around. Indeed. Mm-hmm. That's a good so you can call in or send us an email, help at outofajam.net or facebook.com slash outofajam. All of those ways let us screen you out so we know that you're not a crazy person, and then we'll give you a number to call, and you can give us your opinion on the air or your question for that matter. Which uh, gets us back to the question of how do you know whether or not you have posts on the Internet that are public, or rather posts on Facebook that are public. And there are a number of different ways, but one is a really nifty uh, Firefox extension called Facebook Privacy Watcher. It's a pretty self-explanatory name, I suppose. And, if, Paul, are you familiar with Firefox extensions? Uh, not really. Are you familiar with Firefox? Yes. Are you familiar with extensions? Yes. Excellent. Well, so Firefox, one of the best features of Firefox, and most browsers now allow this. I know Safari does. I'm pretty sure Chrome absolutely does. Pretty sure Internet Explorer has its own, it does have its own version of them. But Firefox uh, was one of the first browsers to allow, to easily allow plugins. You, right within Firefox, you can surf a list of plugins that other people have written that extend or modify how Firefox behaves. and then with one click, uninstall or uninstall them. So because they've had it for so long and because it's so easy, Firefox has probably by far the most robust network of plugins for the, for the browser. There's all sorts of things that it can do. And one of them is Facebook Privacy Watcher. And it actually color codes your posts on Facebook so you can see at a glance what the settings for that post is. It's pretty sweet. And so once you install it, it'll go through all your data and your various privacy settings for Facebooks, and then it color codes it. So if it's green, it's public post. If it's orange, it's only visible to your friends, hopefully good friends. Red is only visible to you, great. And then blue is only visible to a subset of all your friends. So that's pretty handy. That way you can tell at a glance if something's out of whack with your privacy settings and what's going on. And it's free is the other great thing. So you can install it right from within Firefox. And I would definitely suggest that if you are concerned about these things or if you're concerned or confused about what your current settings are, check that out. Now, is there anything analogous to this on Safari? Not that I'm aware of off the top of my head, but, you know, I just stumbled across this recently. Mm -hmm. So we're going to try and dig something up similar for Safari. The other thing is, of course, we've talked about how to actually check your Facebook privacy settings before. And we'll go ahead and go ahead. Oh, that was a double sentence. We'll go ahead and do that again in the future, but probably not tonight because we have a couple of other things that we would like to hit. That, by the way, was one of our tips of the week. The other thing I'd like to mention is a really cool app. Paul, we've talked about... Photoshop before, Mm -hmm. and we've talked about GIMP, which is a free alternative to Photoshop. GIMP is really high-powered, roughly, probably, not quite, but uh, very full-featured, a very powerful contender to Photoshop, or uh, a a very full-featured set of software that could certainly replace Photoshop for the vast majority of people. There we go. Mm -hmm. That's the sentence I'm looking for. But GIMP is not necessarily 100% user-friendly much the same way that Photoshop is not really 100% user-friendly. They're both geared towards people who have more advanced needs. They're not geared for the average human being necessarily. And there are definitely plenty of applications that exist in that realm, but you generally have to pay 40 to $50 for them, which is fine. But every once in a while, you'll get something like, hey, you're building a website quick and easy, and you want to make a banner. You want to resize it, and you want to apply some text to it so you can overlay text on your photo and whatever it is. And there's not really any quick way to do that on most computers. Not even the Mac, which has a great photo editor in iPhoto, uh, has really a mid-range photo editor built in. It's got Preview, which lets you do small photo edits, but nothing that gives you the ability to overlay text or apply effects to do slightly fancier things that many people would want to do through doing some graphic design. 
So the internet, in this case, steps in and helps out. There's a pretty sweet internet application, a website basically, called Pixlr, P-I-X-L-R.com. And Pixlr is a free web app that you can pay for for certain features, and they have actually three different versions. Advanced, which gives you a whole host of features in a Photoshop-like interface, and it's got a more user-friendly version, which is just gives you the basic and what they think a regular people want in a playful version. The regular version actually lets you take a picture with your webcam, and you can just snap a picture. And it's really amazing how fast this works. You generally associate web tools with having plenty of lag, but Pixlr works really quickly indeed. And you can do any number of things on your web browser that you generally associate doing in a considerably more powerful image editor. Paul, you can see I've already pulled it out and applied some focus effects. Just being able to quickly select an area of the photograph and make it focused and the rest of it out of focus. Exactly. And you can then also easily type some text in various fonts, rotate it around, place it wherever you need to place it. So it's cool. I have to say that I have a bias against web apps, for the most part, I'm not necessarily a huge fan simply because I generally feel that whatever you can do on a web app, you can do on a real application on your computer faster, and you don't have to rely on an Internet connection. But I have to say, I haven't found anything free like this, and it, there's no catch to it. They're not making you subscribe like many web applications do. There's no ads. They're not overlaying anything funky over the top of it. So uh, it, it's cool. I mean, they have a paid-for version, of course, but if you just need to do some quick effects, check out Pixlr.com. It's quite full-featured and has a lot of power. Good app of the week. Thank you. Thank you. We specialize in those. What can I say? All right. Well, we're nearing the end of our time here. However, there was... Don't give me that look. Alex just gave me a look like I'm wrong. We're ten minutes away from nine. That totally counts as nearing the end of our time. But there was one thing I was going to mention, and that is that I get a lot of questions about how to transfer files between one computer and another. And most of the time, people ask, can I just put it on thumb drive? And you can, and that's great. And a lot of people also send an email, which is great. But there are really there are a lot of other options out there. And in this day and age, using email or a thumb drive is hardly necessary and is actually a little painful to consider for some of us because I don't feel email should be used as a way of transferring files from point A to point B, certainly not on a regular basis. So I want to run over a couple of options for doing that. One is, and this is one of my current favorite, is WeTransfer.com. I've mentioned it on the show before, but WeTransfer is a really great website for transferring a large file. Even if you want to email a file, most places put a cap on how big of a file you can send. Like tag 10 megs or something. Exactly. And even then, it's not polite to send a file even that large. And we've talked about this before, but WeTransfer is uh, even better than a site I've recommended in the past. You send it. You send it, switch to a pretty uh, far more hardcore ad-driven and pay-driven policy. They used to be pretty much free unless you went over a certain size. We send it still is. It's free up to a certain size of file, 2 gigabytes, which is quite large. It operates by drag and drop. You can just drag a file onto the site, let it upload, and then you can provide a link to basically anyone you want via an email, and they will be able to download the file onto their computer. So you're not gumming up their inbox, and you can actually send the link to multiple people if you want. Very handy. Another way, and I used this this weekend in a class that I was teaching, is Google Drive, which actually provides a very quick and easy way to upload multiple files to your Google account, and it also lets you provide a link that will actually give people not just a single file to download, but a list of files, complete with previews. So let's say you uploaded four or five photos. People can click on a photo, get a thumbnail or a preview, and then they can just choose to download it to their computer if they want. Mm. It's a really effective way to do that. The one thing to note is that in Google Drive, you have to set a folder to be public. By default, they're all private. So you have to set it to public, in which case Google gives you a little link that you can either post on a website or send out or do whatever you want. Are these similar to Dropbox? And that was the last one I was going to mention. The granddaddy, of course, is Dropbox. Dropbox is really awesome. Um, the the upside and downside to Dropbox, if you want to call that, is that to wor- for it to work best is that you have to install a piece of software on your computer. I personally really like that because then you just have a regular folder on your computer that you dump things into and it surreptitiously in the background uploads them to the Internet. 
and you can also provide a public link for people. You can store up to two gigabytes worth of information. Or if other people have Dropbox and you share it with them, it'll automatically get downloaded to their computer, and they don't even have to worry about watching a progress bar and wait for it to download. And you can purchase more space. You can definitely purchase more space. Yep. We used Google Drive over the weekend primarily because it was an easier way for us to make multiple nested folders that showed up for everyone in their web browser. Hmm. The Dropbox public sharing interface did, it just didn't work for what we were doing. We we're, were doing a web design class, and we we're trying to share a bunch of resources, background, stock photography, textures, things like that, and give people an option to download them and apply them to their website. And Google Drive ended up working for us pretty well. Hmm. So it's it's an ongoing thing. But those are four ways you can get files from point A to point B or share them very, very easily indeed. There's a lot of others, but consider those because a thumb drive is something that you can lose or you have to move around and watch the progress bar. And email is just best reserved for email. It's a message. And if you have to send one photo, that's great. All right. All right. Paul. We're going to wrap up this radio show for this week. We're looking forward to having a guest next week. I'm going to be talking to someone in the school district about using iPads for people who have various disabilities. Have you had any experience with this in your school? No. You, you guys don't have iPads? You're not one we of the iPad-wielding we- schools? We, we are limited in our ability to serve um, disabled youth, so oh, we okay. use it in that context. Do you use it for your students? Um, we are in the first first stages of setting up an iPad actual mobile lab. Oh, wow. Yeah. Full-on mobile lab. That will come on. Obviously, we should interview you next time as well. I will get on this. See how, see how schools are adopting technology. Some schools are, some schools aren't, um, and it's a debate as to whether or not it's actually doing any good for students. We but have a, a, a teacher study group right now that's... Um, we all purchased a book, which we have in iBooks, and we all get together and uh, do our, our sharing once a week, and we've found the features of iBook have really been helpful, the way it annotates <coughs> your highlighting. When you highlight yeah. something in the text, it automatically uh, keeps a record of it uh, that you, so you can quickly just look at a list and see the things that you highlighted. How have you been using that in a group setting? Well, then when it's time to look at Chapter 11, you just look at the list, and there you can see what you've highlighted, and you touch on them, and it takes you right to the page. That's pretty sweet. And you can also put little sticky notes in the margins mm-hmm. to add you know, a note, a thought, uh, a question. For whatever, For whatever it's worth, it's also worth noting that if you have a Mac... The preview application can do that as well and uh, with a PDF. And if you have a PC, if you download uh, Adobe Acrobat Reader, it can do those things as well with a PDF, which can be really, really handy. One thing we almost forgot I was going to mention, what if you're taking photos and you want to strip out that metadata we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. location, time the photo was taken, so on and so forth. And if you have a Windows PC, it's pretty easy. You'll uh, just right-click on it, and you'll choose Properties. And it actually has a tab that, uh, for details that you have a button. On. This is under Windows 7 that lets you remove properties and per- personal information. And it strips that information out. If you have a Mac, you can either fire up uh, iPhoto, and you can view the the metadata for each photo by just selecting it and going to File and choosing Get Info. And you can edit it from there. You can delete it. You can change it. You can do whatever you want with it. That's a one-by-one photo process. If you want to do something a little faster, there's actually a pretty sweet application out there that will do it really quick, and that was ImageOptim, I-M-G. O-P-T-I-M. And it will very quickly take your photo and strip out anything that's not completely necessary. Now, it also tries to compress the photo. So it may not be ideal if you're trying to keep the photos at their original size. So if you want to do that, use an application called Small Image. All one word, pretty straightforward. You can Google that up, and it'll pop right up. And Small Image actually lets you just keep the image the same size and only strip out information that you don't want. And they'll have a list of checkboxes about what you're going to keep and what you're not going to keep, and you can just make sure that EXIF, E-X-I-F, that's the metadata that refers to location, shutter speed, camera data, in other words, is taken out, and then you just hit save, and it saves over the old image. So you can program it essentially to to remove specific kinds of data from um, 
a, a collection of photos. Exactly. Yep. And you can drag and drop a whole bunch of photos on there to do it all at once. You definitely want to make sure there's a box that says recompress at quality because if you don't have that, if you have that checked, it's actually going to try and compress the photo. If you keep it unchecked, it'll just keep the photos at their original quality, which you generally want. So that's your tip. If you're concerned about privacy with your photos, you don't want someone to know where you took that picture of them, whatever it may be, that is how you would do that. And privacy is what we're all about here. Excellent. Paul, thank you so much for braving the wind. Oh, man, we've got to go back out into it. I know. Now. We're going to brave it right now. We need an w- anti-wind app. And you know, stay on the air. Oh, yeah, we're just going to hang out. It's warm here. I don't think Alex has anything better to do. Probably not. Now we're just going to converse. I will also note that your iPhone's acting up and acting like a strobe light again. That's right. We'll get back to that next time. It'll be exciting. Excellent. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Thanks for your phone calls. The people who did call in get placed in a competition for a free app from us. It won't be free for us, but we're going to gift them an app. So think of your choices. Those of you who have called in, let us know what they are. We might choose that. We might choose something else of our choosing for you. But just remember, you pays to participate. We'll talk to you next week. See ya.